0: You are now listening to Grinding True Crime with your host, Maddie Matt. Todd Fox, and Gabby G.
2: Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today,
1: Gabby, yeah,
2: and the other host of the show, Todd Fox. And we are back live here breaking down another episode, part three of the Ted Bundy story but before we get into that we want to let you guys know where you can uh, find us you can find us on our Instagram page our Facebook page especially just type in the grinding true crime podcast and you will find our uh, page there and follow us and there you can find some of our past recordings and future events. Uh, If you're listening to us on your podcast you can listen to us on Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and so much more. Just type in the Grinding True Crime podcast, and there you can find some of our recordings as well. With all that being said, for those who didn't listen to part one and two of the Ted Bundy story, it was really good. Not good in a good way, but it was good in the way that Gabby broke down the details. And now we're almost at the conclusion of the story, and this is going to be part three. So without further ado, Take it away, Gab. Oh, oh, by the way, want to let you guys know, for any details, listening discretion is advised. Take it away, Gab.
1: Okay, um, I'm going to start off by asking you guys what you remember from the last episode. I know it's been a little while, but you guys remember where we left off? I
2: believe he got arrested.
0: If I'm not mistaken. He was finally being implicated, yes.
1: Yes. So, yes, he was arrested. And um, oh, wow, well, buddy, he did go to his first trial. Mm-hmm. If you guys remember, um, in February 1976, he stood trial for the Durant kidnapping, mm-hmm. which was the girl that actually escaped. Um, and then in June, he was sentenced to one to 15 years in the Utah State Prison. But in October, he was found hiding in the bushes, remember, carrying an escape kit. Wow. So, he spent several weeks in solitary confinement, and later that same month, the Colorado authorities charged him with the Karen Campbell's murder. Mm. So, he waived extradition proceedings and was transferred to Aspen in January 17th, I mean, 1977. Aspen, Colorado? Yes, sir.
2: Uh-oh. <laughs> so,
1: sorry. I'm sorry. So, um, on June 7th, 1977, he was transported from Garfield County Jail in Glenwood Springs to Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen for a plen- preliminary hearing. Sorry, he had elected to serve as his own attorney and he was excused by the judge from wearing handcuffs or leg shackles because he was representing himself. Geez, wow! So, this is I don't know if you guys know this much. But this is an interesting part that's going to make you guys mad.
2: What's going to make us mad?
1: During a recess, he asked to visit the Courthouse Law Library to research his case. While shielded from his guard's view behind a bookcase, he opened a window and jumped to the ground from the second <laughs> story.
2: Are you serious?
1: Injuring his right ankle as he landed. After shedding an outer layer of clothing, he walked through Aspen as roadblocks were being set up on the outskirts. And he hiked southward onto the aspen mountain
2: so was he trying to kill himself or trying to hurt himself permanently
1: he escaped
2: wow jeez with his- <laughs> yeah. a busted ankle <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep near its summit he broke into a hunting cabin and he stole food clothing and a rifle from that house mm. the following day he left the cabin and he continued south toward the town of crested boot crested boot Okay. I don't know how you pronounce that But he got lost in the forest For two days he wandered Without knowing where he was heading
2: mm. Missing
1: two trails that led downwards To the intended destination On June 10, He broke into a camping trailer On Maroon Lake, 10 miles south of Aspen He took food, a ski park up But instead of continuing southward He walked back north, toward Aspen mm. Eluding the roadblocks And search parties along the way
0: what time of year was this again?
1: 1977.
0: No, I mean, the time of year was it wintertime or springtime or something?
1: Oh, right. Um, this was June, summertime.
0: Summertime. Well, he lucked out then. Sure did. If he tried in the wintertime, he'd froze to death. Oh, man.
1: Oh, yeah. He wouldn't have survived nor found his way out of there.
0: With a busted yeah. ankle, too? Mm-hmm. And he looks okay. normal, too, so, like, he could pass for any white dude up there in Aspen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> People trusted him, remember?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, He's good cute. looking, right? Yeah, he was cute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so three days later, he stole a car at the golf course in Aspen. Mm-hmm. He was cold, sleep deprived, and in pain from his sprained ankle, but he drove back to Aspen, where two officers noticed the car weaving in and out of it the lane.
2: That's because he couldn't drive with that,
1: So he was pulled over. He had been a fugitive for six days. He had maps to the mountain area. Of course. And um, the maps that the the prosecutors were using to demonstrate the location of Karen Campbell's body. Wow. Oh, jeez. So they caught him that day. And that's how he had been planning his escape by looking at those maps.
0: Wow. This dude has some
2: cojones. Yeah, I got to give him that.
1: I don't think I'd have the guts to do that. I'm like, I'm already facing all this and I'm about to jump out and run away. No.
0: <sighs> Nothing to lose. But yeah, at
1: that point, for real. So, there's a mention here in this part that back in Glenwood Springs, mm-hmm. where he was in jail, he had ignored advice of his friends and legal advisors to stay put. The case against him was already weak. Wow. And deteriorating steadily as for trial motions consistently resolved in his favor. So in reality, since they had um, bits of evidence, a lot of that evidence was inadmissible in court. So his case was kind of weak, like there was a chance he wasn't gonna get much time for what he did. Mm-hmm. But wow. he messed that up, obviously, by trying to run away.
0: Oh, well, absolutely, that's, that's uh, serious charges.
1: Yeah, the prosecutors have said a more rational defendant might have realized that he stood a good chance of acquittal, and that being the murder charge in Colorado would probably have been dissuaded other prosecutors with as little a year and a half to serve on the derange conviction, the kidnapping. Wow. Had he persevered, he could have been a free man.
0: Well, he made two mistakes. He he didn't hire a lawyer, and whenever you act as your own lawyer, that's always a mistake. Mm-hmm. and then trying to escape like Gabby said I just nah yeah I, I agree he he screwed himself over on that
2: I have to agree with you on that one too bro
1: so instead he had assembled a new escape plan he acquired a floor plan of the jail and a hacksaw blade from other inmates he had $500 in cash smuggled over a six month period
2: I'm about to say where'd he get that money
1: <laughs> and later on he said of course by Carol Ann Boone
2: of course which I want to know where he got he got the, he got the as blade. We
1: know. Yeah, she's the one that he marries. Yikes!
2: You said where did he get the blade? Yeah.
1: Oh, the blade was from other inmates. So I don't mm, know how yeah. they got it. Well, I mean,
2: I don't want to know how they smuggled it in. I don't want to know either. They must have <laughs> tore some <the> intestines. Oh, <laughs> cool, oh, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> so during the evenings, while the prisoners were showering, he started sawing a hole about one square foot between the steel reinforcing bars in his cell ceiling. And he had lost 35 pounds, so he was able to wiggle through it and crawled into a space above.
2: Persistent.
1: In the weeks that followed, he made a series of practice runs exploring the space. Multiple reports from an informant of movement within this feeling during the night were not investigated. By late 1977, his impending trial had become a celebration in the small town of Aspen. Mm. He had filed a motion for a change of venue to Denver. Mm. On December twenty-third, the Aspen trial judge granted the request, but to Colorado Springs. Oh, <laughs> what do you know, Kenda? Colorado Springs. Where the juries had historically been hostile to murder suspects. On the night of December 30th, with most of the jail staff was on break for Christmas, and nonviolent prisoners were on furlough with their families, he piled books. And files in his bed, covered them with a blanket to simulate like he was still there, and then he climbed into the crawl space. (laughs) He broke through the ceiling into the apartment of a chief jailer who was out for the evening with his wife. Changed into street clothes from the jailer's closet, and he walked out the front door to freedom. Wow. This guy. Yep. He stole another car and drove eastward out of Glenwood Springs, but the car broke down in the mountains a passing motorist gave him a ride 60 miles to the east and then from there he caught the bus to Denver where he boarded morning flight to Chicago in Glenwood Springs the jail skeleton crew did not discover the escape until noon of the next day more than 17 hours later and by then he was already in Chicago (laughs) wow he was a smart guy they underestimated him
0: very smart
1: from Chicago, he traveled by train to Ann Harbor, Michigan, where he was present in a tavern on January 2nd. Five days later, he stole another car and drove to Atlanta, where he boarded a bus and then a- arrived in Florida. On the morning of January 8th, he rented a room under the name Chris Hagen at the Holiday Inn. Then later, said that he initially resolved to find le- legitimate employment and refrain from further criminal activity. Wow! Knowing he could remain free and undetected in Florida indefinitely, as long as he did not attract attention of police. Wow! But he applied on the uh, construction side, and that application had to be abandoned when he was asked to produce identification. So he went back to his habits of shoplifting and stealing credit cards from women's wallets left in shopping carts.
2: <laughs> wow!
1: How are you gonna? I'm gonna try not to get into trouble, but I, I am, I, I prison.
0: I, <laughs> I would think there's some general labor jobs he could have did something. You know, mm-hmm. go to a, go to an area that's kind of like downtown. Get a fake ID. You know, it's still the 70s at this point. You you know, yep. you should be able to get what you want and need because he's obviously able to. Travel on plane, travel on train, undetected. Mm -hmm. Just stop committing
1: crimes. Well, I guess in that part, he was smart in many other aspects. And you know what? He didn't think of that one. Wow. So on January 15, 1978, a week after he arrived in Florida, he entered SFU Chi Omega Sorority House through a rear door with a faulty locking mechanism. About 2.45 a.m., he bludgeoned Margaret Bowman, who was 21, with a piece of oak firewood as she was sleeping, then garretted her with a nylon stocking. Wow. After that, he entered the bedroom of 20-year-old Lisa Levy, and he beat her unconscious, strangled her, tore one of her nipples. Ooh, so what? We starting to get a little graphic, Well, not even a little a lot. He tore one of her nipples, bit deeply into her left buttock, and rake her with a hair mist bottle I mean there's no positive in this but I'm 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 glad the girl was at least unconscious when he was doing that yeah because that would have been horrible Mm. he killed killed both girls Well, so far, I mean, it's saying that he beat her, which I would think that would have killed her. In an adjoining bedroom, he attacked Kathy Kleiner, breaking her jaw and lacerating her shoulder. Mm. And Karen Chandler, who suffered a concussion, broken jaw, loss of teeth, and a crushed finger.
0: Mm. Damn, this guy was crazy.
1: But Chandler and Kleiner survived the attack. Kleiner later attributed the survival to automobile headlights that were illuminating the interior of their room and it frightened him away
2: wow thank goodness for that
1: the detectives later determined that the four attacks took place in a total of less than 15 minutes wow with an earshot of more than 30 witnesses who heard nothing what you're in a freaking dorm and no one heard anything wow
0: he knew they were easy prey Mm mm-hmm
1: After he left the sorority house, he broke into a basement apartment eight blocks away and attacked another student, Cheryl Thomas, dislocating her shoulder, fracturing her jaw and skull in five places. She was left with permanent deafness and equilibrium damage that ended her dance career.
0: Now You see what she's talking about there, though? Broken jaw, separated shoulder, um, skull fractures. You have to hit someone hard. hard. Hard, bro. And with no Especially
1: remorse. Yeah.
0: Good. That's a lot of damage, dude. That's five things in less than a few hours.
2: It's Oh, my gosh. Do you blame the police department at this point?
0: Yes. You do? Yeah, they let him
2: loose twice. Mm.
1: I agree. I do blame the police department. I feel that given his circumstances and the fact that he had already escaped, no matter where, in what state, Wherever they didn't know where he was, but you would think there would be more security in mm-hmm. universities. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where it's all started and happened. Why wasn't anybody doing enough rounds, making sure nobody would get into the buildings?
0: That's true. What a freak.
1: That's nasty. On her bed, on Cheryl Thomas's bed, they found semen stain and a pantyhose mask containing two hairs similar to Bundy's. In class and characteristic.
2: Damn. Well, they on
1: On February 8th, he drove 150 miles to Jacksonville in a stolen van that he got there at FSU. He approached, uh, again, a minor, 14-year-old Leslie Parmenter, the daughter of Jacksonville Police Department's chief of detectives. Ooh. Identifying himself as Richard Burton Fire Department. But retreated when parminter's older brother arrived and challenged him
2: of course yeah.
1: yep that afternoon he backtracked 60 miles westward to lake city and at lake city junior high school the following morning 12 year old kimberly diane leach was summoned to her homeroom by a teacher to retrieve a purse she had forgotten but she never returned to the class seven weeks later after searching her partially mummified remains were found in a pig farming shed wow. near Suwani River State Park. Wow. She appeared to have been raped and killed by neck lacerations with a knife.
2: Damn.
1: This Damn. guy is so disgusting. On top he's of the sick. fact that he's just so freaking twisted and has feels nothing for killing so brutally and disgustingly children. Like children. She's twelve.
2: Very yeah, sick sick bastard. Yep.
1: Oh, he pisses me off.
2: Yeah, you got to be uh, on some another level to do something to a kid like that.
0: This guy was a, a genetic freak. Like, not in a good way. You know, like they say that mu- muscle builders are like genetic freaks. This guy's a genetic mm-hmm. freak with the sexual desire to do the things he did to these women and then kill them or do it first and then do the the raping, and then to do just, like Gabby said, to like minors and stuff and just have no regard. But then again, it shows you what a coward he is whenever challenged or a man's around. He's not going to attack mm-hmm. a with a man. Mm-hmm. He's a coward. Yep.
1: Taking advantage of the easy ones.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: On February twelfth, with insufficient cash to pay his overdue rent, and police growing suspicious, he decided to steal a car and fled to Tallahassee again. He drove across to Florida Panhandle. Three days later, around 1 a.m., he was stopped by a police officer, David Lee, near Alabama state line, after a wants warrants check showed his Volkswagen Beetle was stolen. When told he was under arrest, Bundy kicked Lee's legs out from under him and took off running. Lee fired a warning shot, followed by a second round, gave Chase and tackled him. The two struggled over the gun before the officer finally subdued and arrested Bundy. So in the stolen vehicle, they found three sets of IDs belonging to female FSU students, 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen television set. Also a pair of dark rimmed non-prescription glasses and plate slacks. Later identified as the disguise worn by Richard Burton Fire Department, as he said he was, in Jacksonville. Wow. She transported him to jail, unaware that he had just arrested one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives. And he heard Bundy say, I wish you had killed me.
2: Ooh. Wow.
1: So now we're getting into Florida trials. And finally, the part I've been waiting for, the marriage. Uh Uh-oh. So following a change change of venue to Miami, <laughs> he stood trial for the Chi Omega homicides and assault in June 1979. The trial was covered by 250 reporters of five continents. He was the first to be televised nationally in the U.S. Despite the presence of five court-appointed attorneys, he again handled much of his own defense.
2: Idiot. What an
1: idiot. From the beginning, he sabotaged the entire defense effort out of spite, distrust, and grandiose delusion. That's what Nestlin wrote in his article. He was facing murder charges with a possible death sentence. And all that mattered to him apparently was that he would be in charge. (laughs) So he he just wanted some power. He wanted the power. Yep. So according to Mike Minerva, a public defender in Tallahassee, Mm -hmm. um, a pre-trial plea bargain was negotiated. So it was that Bundy would plead guilty to killing Levy, Bowman, and Leach in exchange for a firm 75-year prison sentence.
2: Yeah, right. That's it?
1: That was the the deal. The plea
2: deal, yeah. Mm -hmm. Come on.
1: Prosecutors were amenable to a deal by one account because one, because prosecutors, prospects of losing at trial were very good. Bundy, however, saw the plea deal not only as a means of avoiding the death penalty, but as a tactical move. He could enter the plea and wait a few years for evidence to disintegrate or become lost or for witnesses to die, move on, or retract their testimony. Once the case against him had deteriorated beyond repair, he could finally file the post-conviction motion to set aside the plea and secure an acquittal.
2: So that he can get out and do the same thing over and over
1: yeah but that's how he thought he thought it's an opportunity mm-hmm. at the last minute however bundy refused the deal Wow. it made him realize that he was going to have to stand up in front of the whole world and say he was guilty he couldn't do it wow too at much- trial <laughs>
0: what was that i was just gonna say too much self-preservation that's
2: why had
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, too much pride mm-hmm
1: at trial the testimony came from Chi Omega sorority members Connie Hask Hastings who placed Bundy in the vicinity of the Chi Omega house that evening and Nita Neary who saw him leaving the sorority house clutching the oak murder weapon incriminating physical evidence included impressions of the bite wounds he had inflicted on Lisa Levy's left butto- buttocks which forensic odontologist Richard Suaviron and Lowell Levine matched to castings of his teeth
2: wow you gotta really bite somebody that hard
1: well if he tore the nipple of the girl off he clearly has a strong bite Uh, who could uh,
2: having your nipple torn yeah
0: I, i i'm cringing just thinking of that
1: man disgusting so the jury deliberated for less than seven hours before convicting him on july 24 1979 Of the Bowman and Levy murders, three counts of attempted first-degree murder for the assaults on Kleiner, Chandler, and Thomas, and two counts of burglary. The trial judge, who was Edward Coward imposed death sentences for the murder convictions. Mm. Six months later, a second trial took place in Orlando for the abduction and murder of Kimberly Leach. He was found guilty again after less than eight hours. Due mainly on the testimony of an eyewitness who saw him leading Leach from the schoolyard to his stolen van.
2: That was the 12-year-old? Yes. Mm, nasty.
1: Important material evidence included clothing fibers with an unusual manufacturing error found in the van and her body on her body, which matched fibers from the jacket he was wearing when he was arrested. During the penalty phase of the trial... Bundy took advantage of an obscure Florida law providing that a marriage declaration in court and presence of a judge constituted a legal marriage. And as he was questioning former Washington State D.E.S. coworker Carol Ann Boone, who had moved to Florida to be near him, had testified on his behalf during both trials and was again testifying in this one. As a character witness, he asked her to marry him. Mm. She accepted and Bundy declared to the court that they were legally married. Get the f i. What the heck is this, Like
2: <laughs> What is wrong with her?
1: It's clear that he's been doing this all along. How do you go and support this man, testify on his behalf, try to defend him, and then marry him?
2: And then she snitched on him a while back, right? No, this is boom. Oh, this is boom. Never mind.
0: All I can think of was the sex was good. That's, like, I mean, that's all I could think of, man. Hey, man. She's twisted, bro. She's twisted.
1: I don't understand this.
2: He put the D on it. <laughs> <laughs> that, you're right, Todd. That's about the only thing I could think of. Yeah. I mean, what else did he have to offer?
1: But come on. He cannot be the only man. What is wrong with these women? They got to be as mental as him.
2: When you found that one. That can put it down. (laughs) It don't matter what he does. It don't matter. He can boo-boo on himself.
1: (laughs) That is horrible. (laughs) Horrible. How can any female want to be with a man who does that to so many other women? I I don't know. All that pisses me off. Maybe
2: she had self-hate on her or something mentally going on. I I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. (sighs) But that is highly strange
1: that's ridiculous definitely so on February 10th 1980 he was sentenced for a third time to death by electrocution good as the sentence was announced he reportedly stood and shouted tell the jury they were wrong this third death sentence was ultimately the one that was carried out nearly nine years later what in October 1981 Boone gave birth to the daughter named and named Bundy as the father Jeez. While conjugal visits were not allowed at Rayford Prison, inmates were known to pool their money in order to bribe guards to allow them intimate time alone with their female visitors.
2: It was getting hot and steamy in those jails.
1: So either that's how she got pregnant or she got pregnant with somebody else. Who
2: knows? Yeah, because she said that she declared Bundy the father. She
1: declared
2: him. It didn't mean that he really was. Yeah, that's
0: true.
1: So we are going to get into his death row shortly after the conclusion of the trial about Leach, little girl, mm-hmm. and the beginning of the long appeals process. Bundy initiated a series of interviews with Stephen McCod and Hugh Ainsworth, mm-hmm. speaking mostly in a third person to avoid the stigma of a confession. He began for the first time to divulge details of his crimes and thought processes. So he recounted his career as a thief, confirming Clover's longtime suspicion that he had shoplifted virtually everything of substance that he owned. That Clover girl was ridiculous. Mm. (laughs) He didn't even end up marrying her.
2: (laughs) (laughs) For real, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) He said, the big payoff for me was actually possessing whatever it was I had stolen. I really enjoyed having something that I had wanted and gone out and taken. Possessions proved to be an important motive for him to rape and murder. Sexual assault, he said, was what fulfilled his need to totally possess the victims. Wow. At first, he killed his victims as a matter of expediency to eliminate the possibility of being caught. But later, murder became part of the adventure. The ultimate possession was, in fact, the taking of the life. That's what he said. Mm. And then the physical possession of the remains. Which is why he would kill them first and then do whatever he wanted with them. he
2: owned them.
1: That's
2: necrophilia stuff. Yeah, that's disgusting. Yeah, necrophilia.
1: So he also confided in Special Agent William Hagmere of the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit. He was struck by the deep, almost mystical satisfaction that Bundy took in the murders. He said that after a while, murder is not just a crime of lust or violence. It becomes possession. They are a part of you. Mm. The victim becomes a part of you, and you two are forever one. And the grounds where you kill them or leave them become safer to you, and you will always be drawn back to them. That's what he told the special agent.
2: That's got to be some
1: sick, twisted mind. He said he considered himself an amateur, an impulsive killer in his early years before moving into what he termed his prime or predator fate. About the time of Linda Healy's murder
2: in 1974. Oh, okay. That
1: implied that he did begin killing before 1974. Although he never really admitted to doing it.
2: Well, he pretty much gave his own confession?
1: Yeah, there he pretty much said it.
2: What an idiot. Well, he ain't too smart on that one.
1: No. But remember the way he was giving the interview was in the third person? Third person? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, when everyone when anyone does third person, that kind of takes away your credibility because Todd doesn't believe that Todd would have done that, and you know,
2: (laughs) Matt kind of agrees with you. Well, Todd agrees with
0: you too, Matt. (laughs) Gabby
1: will continue now. Yes. (laughs) In July 1984, Rayford guards found 2 hacksaw blades that Bundy had hidden in the cell. Again, this guy is still like... Wow. A steel bar in one of the cell's windows had been sawed completely through at the top and the bottom and glued back into place with a homemade soap-based adhesive. <laughs> wow. Pretty Sever- smart. <laughs> several months later, the guards found an authorized mirror hidden in the cell, and Bundy was again moved to a different cell. This guy should not be allowed to have absolutely anything. Mm -mm. No money, no nothing.
2: Isolation. 24-7. Yep.
1: Because if he had no money, nobody would help him. Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, he was charged with a disciplinary infraction for unauthorized correspondence with another high-profile criminal, John Hinckley Jr. If you guys have heard of him, I've never heard of him.
2: Never
0: heard of him. John Hinckley, that sounds familiar.
1: In October 1984, Bundy contacted Robert Keppel and offered to share his self-proclaimed expertise in serial killing psychology. Wow. In the ongoing hunt in Washington for the Green River Killer. Later, who was Gary Ridgway, which I've never heard of either.
2: You heard of him, Tom?
0: Oh, yeah. I've heard of Gary Rid- Ridgway. We'll, we'll do a story on him eventually. He's My man. He's a Green River Killer. My man.
1: Oh, well, Ted Bundy was the one offering his expertise to him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Keppel and Green River Task Force detective interviewed Bundy, but Ridgway remained at large for a further 17 years.
2: Are you serious?
1: So it says here that Keppel published the documentation of the Green River interviews. We should look that up. He later collaborated with McCod on another examination of the interview material. Bundy coined the nickname The Riverman" for Gary Ridgway, which was later used to for the title of Keppel's book, The Riverman," Ted Bundy mm. and I hunt for the Green River Killer.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. I want to read that. So in early 1986, an execution date, March 4th, was set on Chi Omega conviction. The Supreme Court issued a brief stay, but the execution was rescheduled really fast Why? in April. Shortly after the new date, July 2nd was announced Bundy finally confessed to Hagmeier and Nelson what they believe was the full range of his depredations including details of what he did to some of the victims after their deaths Mm. he told him told them that he did revisit Taylor Mountain, Issaquah and other secondary crime scenes several times often to lie with the victims and perform sexual acts with their decomposing bodies get out until putrefaction forced him to stop. What is what? that? What? You guys want to know what it is? What is that? It's the fifth stage of death.
0: The fifth stage of death?
1: Following pallor mortis, algor mortis, rigor mortis, and liver mortis. This process references the breaking down of the body. So those bodies were in the fifth stage of decay. Decomposition.
2: So basically it's just going back to the dust.
1: So imagine Death you're disgusting. trying to do something to those bodies, they're gonna start falling apart. They're just
2: gonna start falling apart.
1: Oh and he, yeah. it, he's got and he
2: frequently person. would visit.
1: Yeah.
2: That yeah. means he did it with multiple. It's like he the was
1: the dating way. the dead.
2: You have to be on some PCP or just twisted to do something like that.
1: Which he clearly is. Jesus. In some cases, he said he drove for several hours each way and remained the entire night. In Utah, he applied makeup to Melissa's mid lifeless face and repeatedly washed Laura Amy's hair. He said, if you've got time, he told Hagmeyer, they can be anything you want them to be.
2: Oh. <laughs> he wow.
1: decapitated approximately 12 of the victims with a hacksaw and kept at least one group of severed heads, probably the four later found on Taylor Mountain, which was Rancourt Park's ball and healing, in his apartment for a period of time before disposing of
2: them. Whoa, this man right here, homie, love level. I mean, just
1: so, sick. Now we're getting all the details of what he did. So less than 15 hours before the July 2 execution, Uh, The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals stayed in indefinitely and remanded the Chi Omega case for review on multiple technicalities, including Mm -hmm. Bundy's mental competency to stand trial. And an erroneous instruction by the trial judge during the penalty phase requiring the jury to break a 6-6 tie between life imprisonment and death penalty, which ultimately they never resolved. A new date, November 18, 1986, in which I was only nine days old.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't know what was going on.
1: I had no clue. Was when they were set to carry out the leech sentence. The Mm. 11th Circuit Court issued a stay on November 17th. Mm. In mid 1988, babe, when you were born. Hey. The 11th Circuit ruled against Bundy and in December the Supreme Court denied a motion to review the ruling. Within hours of that final denial of firm execution date finally, of January 24, 1989, was announced. So they waited all these years. Yep, it took a long time. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Bundy's journey through all the appeals had usually been fast for capital murder (laughs) case. Um, Contrary to popular belief, the courts moved Bundy as fast as they could. Even the prosecutors acknowledged that Bundy's lawyers never employed delaying tactics though people everywhere seized at the apparent delay in executing an demon, Ted Bundy was actually on the fast track. Wow. Yeah, because normally these things take a long time. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you have so many cases and so many trials. Jeez. So, with all the appeal avenues, exhausted and no further motivation to deny his crimes, he finally agreed to speak frankly with the investigators. Finally. He confessed to Keppel that he had committed all eight of the Washington and Oregon homicides for which he was the prime suspect. Dang. He described three additional previously unknown victims in Washington and two in Oregon, who he declined to identify. He said he left the fifth corpse Donna Manson's on Taylor Mountain, but incinerated her head in Cloakford's fireplace. Ooh. Oof. So they'll never find that one. That was the stupid woman that dragged with him all along the years, even though she pointed the finger at him. Oh, he ended up killing her? No, 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 no. He incinerated the head of Donna Manson mm-hmm. in her apartment. Oh,
2: okay. Got it, got it, got it. Her place. Got it.
1: Of all the things I did to Cloper, he told Keppel, this is probably the one she is least likely to forgive me for. Poor Liz. He described the historical crime scene where the bones of Ott, Naslin, and Hawkins were found, and it was almost like he was just there, Keppel said. Like he was seeing everything, he was infatuated with the idea because he spent so much time there. He is just totally consumed with murder all the time. Mm. Nelson's impressions were similar. He said it was the absolute misogyny of his crimes that stunned me. His manifest rage against women. He had no compassion at all. He was totally engrossed in the details. His murders were his life's accomplishments. Wow. Bundy confessed to detectives from Idaho, Utah, and Colorado that he committed numerous additional homicides, including several that were known to the police. He explained that when he was in Utah, he could bring his victims back to his apartment. And this is what he would say, where he could re-enact scenarios depicted on the covers of detective magazines. A new ulterior strategy became apparent. He withheld many details hoping to parlay the incomplete information into another stay of execution. There are other buried remains in Colorado, he admitted, but refused to elaborate. The new strategy, immediately dubbed Ted's Bones first for times team, as they quoted, mm-hmm. served only to deepen the resolve of authorities to see Bundy executed on schedule and yielded little new detailed information. In the cases where he did give details, nothing was found. Colorado Detective Matt Lindbaugh interpreted this as a conflict between his desire to postpone his execution by divulging information and his need to remain in total possession. Mm-hmm. The only person who knew the victim's true resting places. <clears throat> I agree with that, but his plan for extending that date failed. Good. When it, <laughs> when it finally became clear that there wouldn't be any further stays and nothing was going to be moved Bundy supporters began lobbying for the only remaining option which is your... executive clemency mm. Diana Weiner a young Florida attorney and his last reported love interest asked the families of several Colorado and Utah victims to petition Florida governor Bob Martinez for a postponement to give Bundy time to reveal more information what, what? you did to deserve that like no kill them these people They all refused. The families already believed that the victims were dead and Ted had killed them, wrote Nelson. They didn't need his confession. Nope. Martinez made it clear that he would not agree to further delays in any case. We are not going to have the system manipulated, he told reporters. For him to be negotiating for his life over the bodies of victims is despicable. Boone, his wife, championed his innocence throughout all of his trials and felt deeply betrayed by his admission that he was, in fact, guilty.
2: She felt betrayed?
1: She felt betrayed that he was admitting he was guilty. Oh, <laughs> she still didn't believe it. Wow.
0: Drinking that Kool-Aid. Man.
1: So she moved back to Washington with her daughter and refused to accept his phone call on the morning of his execution. Oh,
2: okay. So this okay.
1: Rod, <laughs> <laughs> This fraud was butthurt and offended and mad at him for confessing. For saying he's guilty. For speaking the truth.
2: Wow. So if he, would, if he would have said, no, I'm not guilty, she would have been okay with it.
1: Yeah, because she defended him all along. Stupid. I mean, you have seen all the evidence already. Why would you believe a man? Who runs from the police? Who lies? Manipulated. Now she's just stupid.
2: That true. That part.
1: Nelson wrote that she was hurt by his relationship with Diana Weiner, which is the attorney who was mm-hmm. trying to postpone, mm-hmm. and devastated by his sending wholesale confessions in his last days. Hagmeyer was present during Bundy's final interviews with investigators, and on the eve of his execution, he talked of suicide.
2: Oh, now you want to do suicide.
1: He didn't want to give the state the satisfaction of watching him die. So Bundy died in the raid four electric chair at 716 AM on the date they said January 24th,
2: 1989. Good, as he should have been. Hundreds of
1: revelers sang, danced, and set off fireworks in the pasture across from the prison as the execution was carried out. And I saw this in the documentary. You did? Then they cheered as the white hearse containing Bundy's corpse departed the prison. He was (laughs) cremated in Gainesville and his ashes scattered at an undisclosed location in the Cascade Range of Washington State, in accordance with his will, he shouldn't have had a final will. Nope.
0: I don't know how I, he had so much privilege. I, I do know one thing: <laughs> if, you, if you do, if you do Google him, you could see the um, uh, what he called the picture after he was electrocuted. Really? Really? Yeah. If you look up uh, execution of Ted Bundy, I mean, he looks. It sucks because he has an eerie smile on his face. Or like a content look on his face.
1: Wow. No way.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: They absolutely saw that?
0: Yeah. you could. They shaved his head and then he's like just right after he's been electrocuted, they put him on a gurney. And you could see yeah. him like just laid out and he looks like he looks content. Like almost if he died in his sleep.
1: Wow. Good pig.
2: I'm gonna have to look that up.
0: Well, it's definitely a lot cleaner than the Dahmer stuff yeah. that you told me to look up. but
2: <laughs> Oh, yeah. We oh, see boy, it right now. It.
1: That is crazy. Mm-hmm.
2: Dang. Imagine having electricity just blowing through your whole body like that. Well, see, some of them, if you've
0: looked up electrocutions, which I morbidly did once and twice here and there. Of but, course. <laughs> people's eyes explode. Like You know what I mean? like You know... Or, or they'll have blood coming out their their um, ears, mouth, whatever. It, it gets nasty. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem to do much to this dude other than kill him, obviously. But it didn't like make
2: things. He, he looks, he looks normal. Yeah, yeah. he does.
1: Wow. And the part where his eyes are closed, you can see a little protrusion, but it wasn't like it's just like if he was. I don't know, like his lips were, like they were sticking out a little more, but nothing like they blew out of his body.
2: Exactly. Wow. Freaking Ted Bundy. What am I? Who I without Bundy.
1: I would have fed him to the wolves, but I shouldn't say it gives me a satisfaction, but in a way, it's like a relief that he actually suffered.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting electricity. Most of these
1: people, lethal injection. Come on. After all the disgusting things they do.
2: Well, Tookie suffered with his lethal injection. True. They couldn't find his veins, so they kept poking him so many times.
1: Okay, but poking you is not the same as the the thing going through you. That's not suffering.
2: Yeah, Yeah. that's a big needle.
1: (laughs) Grandma gets poked over and over because they can't find her veins. She suffers. (laughs) Good point.
2: (laughs) Well, that's what he gets, man, because, like, the dude was just... I don't know who was worse, him or uh, Dahmer. They, they, I mean, they both were heinous, but his was on another level. This guy here. I believe
1: Ted Bundy was held on a worse reputation than Dahmer.
2: Because young women were involved,
1: or or they were both. They were both disgusting. But Ted Bundy, I mean, he escaped twice. Mm -hmm. He continued killing. Mm -hmm. He got away with so much he was deceiving manipulative I mean so was Dahmer but he wasn't so public Bundy was like your exemplary citizen boastful cocky
2: oh he was cocky all but right.
1: the things that he did to these women and then the ones disgusting. that survived with permanent damage that's horrible
2: I wonder if they're still alive now
1: I don't know
0: If they are they're like in their sixties. But that's yeah. He had no regard for life.
2: Oh no, none whatsoever. Like you said, Todd, for you to fracture someone's skull in several places, you have to hit them like someone's robbing you. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yeah, or someone did something very um yeah, tragic to a family member, you're just taking rage out. Yeah. For you to have rage on just a normal person or someone random, that's crazy, dude.
2: That's that's sick. Yep. But at least he got his punishment.
0: Man, saga of Ted Bundy.
1: Yeah, so if you guys want to look into the modus operandi, the victim profiles, all my information was based on Wikipedia. And that's where I get it because I hey. like the site. It's very detailed and it's in order. <laughs> you don't have to like do so much work to get into a case. Mm-hmm. It does talk about the pathology. He actually went multiple psychiatric... Underwent multiple psychi- psych...
2: Psychic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> psychiatric examinations.
2: Psychiatric <laughs>
1: <laughs> The experts' conclusions were different. They all varied. He had violent behavior. They made a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, but later changed that to more than one. Um, they suggested that he had... The possibility of multiple personality disorder based on his behaviors.
2: Well, we know somebody like that. Mm-hmm.
1: The great aunt witnessed an episode where she said that he seemed to turn into another unrecognizable person. Ooh. Suddenly, inexplicably found herself afraid of her favorite nephew as they waited together at a dust-darkened train station. He had turned into a stranger. He had a demon? Of course. <laughs> I'm sure more than one.
0: He was legal or mental?
1: Yeah. Um, bipolar disorder, psychosis, antisocial personality disorder, which I didn't know existed, but you guys can go on Wikipedia and it'll say all the information on him, on the medical history, what they found on him.
0: Interesting. Very.
1: And then there's a the list of all the victims. So this is the story of Ted Bundy.
0: Mm, that's a deep dive man if if, if you guys are just hearing this episode you gotta go back and hear one and two how it got started but this guy was absolutely mad
2: jerk dude and like i said i never knew anything about him and it makes me want to watch the documentary
1: oh yeah you have to see it i don't
2: know
0: i I was just saying i want to see the movie with zach efron the the uh Ted Bundy room.
1: Me too. I heard that they did a good job at portraying it. Yeah, but I, I that's
2: what I'm saying. I, I don't have to I don't wanna watch that because they're gonna show the details. <laughs> and you know what's gonna happen. It's like I wanna see but that.
1: You already know the details.
2: Yeah I know but I'm gonna see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look the documentary I watched it because it gave you a lot of facts but there's a lot of real footage.
2: Is it on Netflix?
1: Uh, I saw it on Netflix. I don't know if it's still there.
2: Might have to check it out.
1: But you could see him. You could see his behavior. You can see like all the news. And they actually shows him. Yes. Oh wow. It's footage on him.
2: We gotta look it up, Tom. Huh?
0: Yeah. I'm gonna check it out for sure. Mm. Well,
2: that has been our episode tonight. We ended it off with the Ted Bundy saga. This was our uh, part three, our final one. Ted Bundy. So if you guys enjoyed that, um, you know what to do. Follow us on our Facebook Instagram page, uh, the Grinding True Crime Podcast, or on your uh, podcast stream just type in the Grinding True Crime Podcast, whatever they mean. Whatever uh, medium you use to listen to your podcast, you can find us there. With all that being said, this has been your host of the show, Maddie Matt along with our narrator of this show Gabby And the other host of the show, Todd Fox. And we are signing off. Toodles.
0: Peace.